0: Tonight, our time in the Word will be in Exodus chapter 39. Exodus chapter 39. And as we've been walking through these last few chapters of the book of Exodus, we've seen that much of it is repeated material from earlier in the book of Exodus. And that's the same that we see here in chapter 39. Most of what we read here was found in Exodus chapter 28. The difference being that in Exodus 28, it was future tense. This is what you will do. This is These are the the garments that you will make for the priests. Here in Exodus 39, it's in the sense of being completed. It's in the past tense. This is now being fulfilled. So earlier was the design and the instruction. Now is the carrying out of those instructions. And so we're going to read from Exodus 39 tonight and... I'll read the whole chapter, and then we'll try to gather some lessons, some theological truths that this passage of Scripture is teaching us tonight. Exodus 39, Moses writes, From the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn they made woven garments for ministering in the sanctuary. They also made sacred garments for Aaron, as the Lord commanded Moses. They made the ephod of gold and of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, "'and of finely twisted linen. "'They hammered out thin sheets of gold "'and cut strands to be worked into the blue, purple, "'and scarlet yarn and fine linen, "'the work of skilled hands. "'They made shoulder pieces for the ephod, "'which were attached to two of its corners "'so it could be fastened. "'It's skillfully woven waistband was like it, "'of one piece with the ephod and made with gold "'and with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn.' and with finely twisted linen, as the Lord commanded Moses. They mounted the onyx stones in gold filigree settings and engraved them like a seal with the names of the sons of Israel. Then they fastened them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses. They fashioned the breastpiece, the work of a skilled craftsman. They made it like the ephod of gold, and of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of finely twisted linen. It was square, a span long and a span wide, and folded double. Then they mounted four rows of precious stones on it. The first row was carnelian, chrysolite, and beryl. The second row was turquoise, lapis lazuli, and emerald. The third row was jacinth, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row was topaz, onyx, and jasper. They were mounted in gold filigree settings. There were 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the 12 tribes. For the breastpiece, they made braided chains of pure gold, like a rope. They made two gold filigree settings and two gold rings and fastened the rings to two of the corners of the breastpiece. They fastened the two gold chains to the rings at the corners of the breastpiece, and the other ends of the chains to the two settings, attaching them to the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front. They made two gold rings and attached them to the other two corners of the breastpiece on the inside edge next to the ephod. Then they made two more gold rings and attached them to the bottom of the shoulder pieces on the front of the ephod. "'close to the seam just above the waistband of the ephod. "'They tied the rings of the breastpiece "'to the rings of the ephod with blue cord, "'connecting it to the waistband "'so that the breastpiece would not swing out from the ephod "'as the Lord commanded Moses. "'They made the robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth, "'the work of a weaver, "'with an opening in the center of the robe "'like the opening of a collar, "'and a band around this opening so that it would not tear.' They made pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen around the hem of the robe. And they made bells of pure gold and attached them around the hem between the pomegranates. The bells and pomegranates alternated around the hem of the robe to be worn for ministering, as the Lord commanded Moses. For Aaron and his sons, they made tunics of fine linen, the work of a weaver, and the turban of fine linen, the linen caps, and the undergarments of finely twisted linen. The sash was made of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, the work of an embroiderer, as the Lord commanded Moses. They made the plate, the sacred emblem, out of pure gold and engraved on it like an inscription on a seal, Holy to the Lord. Then they fastened a blue cord to it to attach it to the turban, as the Lord commanded Moses. So all the work on the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was completed. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, the covering of ram skins dyed red and the covering of another durable leather and the shielding curtain, the Ark of the Covenant Law with its poles and the atonement cover, the table with all its articles and the bread of presents, the pure gold lampstand with its rows of lamps and all its accessories, and the olive oil for the light, the gold altar, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense, and the curtain for the entrance to the tent, the bronze altar with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases, and the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard the ropes and tent pegs for the courtyard, all the furnishings for the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and the woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when serving as priests. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of reading your word and of meditating on it tonight. May your spirit teach us. May we think about these truths of long ago and see uh, what your plan was for your people Israel and how uh, that plan teaches us about what you're doing for us now in Christ. Lord, bless this time in your word, and we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. There are several things that I would like us to think about from Exodus 39 tonight. And what, I, what I'm not planning to do is I'm not planning to go into detail in terms of what these pieces look like. I, I spent a little bit more time on that back when we were in chapter 28. What I'd like to do tonight is just kind of think through uh, what these pieces symbolize and really just kind of an overall picture of what the priesthood symbolized for the people of Israel and what it can teach us today today. And one of the first things that I thought about is just this whole concept in chapter 39 is amazing. And it's amazing testament to the grace of God, because who are these garments being made for? They're being made for Aaron, aren't they? And they're being made for Aaron, for Aaron to wear as a holy priest to go in before the Lord to represent the people before God. And as he goes in, he is to wear on his turban a a plate that says, Holy to the Lord. Now, this is Aaron that we're talking about. Now, back in chapter 28, these instructions may not have been that surprising that we were talking about Aaron with wearing these garments. But what happened since then Aaron was the one who said, bring me all your gold jewelry, right? Bring me all your gold jewelry. And he put it into this molten pot and he fashioned a calf. And he said, hear your, hear your gods. O Israel that brought you up out of Egypt. And so Aaron, according to the words of Moses committed a great sin in leading the people into idolatry and the breaking of the second commandment. And yet, here is Moses giving the words of the Lord, saying they went ahead and made these garments, and they're still going to be for Aaron and for his sons to serve the Lord as his holy priests. How is that possible? It's because God is a forgiving God, isn't he? God is a forgiving God. He is a gracious God. In no way at all does Aaron deserve this privilege or this responsibility. When, when Moses came down from the mountain, he was livid with Aaron and the people. He rebuked Aaron in front of all the people. And Aaron had some lame excuses like, I Just out from the fire came this calf. And and Aaron tried to pass it off and blame the people, but but Moses rebuked him and rebuked him strongly. and, And Aaron endured, I think, some of the chastening hand of God for that sin, but yet God was still merciful to him and God enabled him to fill this role of high priest, even though he didn't deserve it. How was he able to? Yes, God forgave him, but how is it that God forgave him? How is it that? A sinner like Aaron, or any sinner, is able to relate to a holy God only through atoning sacrifice. Only through atoning sacrifice. The only way that Aaron can serve this role and fulfill this responsibility as a mediator between God and man is if he first, before he represents the people, if he first makes an offering for his own sins and seeks to cleanse himself before God. Only then can he go into the most holy place and represent the people before God. But through that atoning sacrifice, Aaron is forgiven, isn't he? His sins are covered. And so even just the placement of this, these instructions or this description of the making of these holy garments, even just the placement in the flow of Exodus testifies to the grace of God. It testifies to the grace of God that he would still welcome Aaron and allow him to serve him in this capacity. One of the things that we see about this whole description, and we've seen this with the rest of the tabernacle as well, and that is that all of it is done with great care, isn't it? All of it is done with great care, with great skill. They're, they're giving their very best to God kind of interesting isn't it that we were in Malachi the last couple of Sundays and here we are talking about priests again in Exodus 39 and in Malachi chapter 1 and chapter 2 they were not giving their best were they they were giving the lame and the blind and they were bringing whatever leftovers they had to offer to God as sacrifices but really as a testament to their obedience to God the Israelites here are giving their best to God. They're giving their best. In fact, at one point in this extended passage, it says that they brought so much that Moses had to give an announcement saying, whoa, okay, we've got enough. You don't need to bring any more. And then you look at the description of the the artisans and the craftsmen and the way that they put their full effort and talent into making these things and and the fine um, substances, you know, materials that they're using, gold and precious linens, it shows how much God is worth. They're giving their very best to God. These garments of the high priest show that the high priest is to be, in a sense, a part of the tabernacle. Think about the things that his garments were made out of. They're made out of the exact same materials as the tabernacle itself are made out of. One commentator said that that uh, Aaron is intended to be like a little miniature vertical tabernacle because he is wearing the same types of things that the whole tabernacle itself is made out of. And so it shows this close, very close connection, association between Aaron and what he will do in the presence of God in the tabernacle. He He is very much a part of what the tabernacle is all about mediating for the people in the presence of God. As we read about the, the different garments, such as the ephod and the breast piece in particular, the ephod was kind of like an apron-type garment that had a front and a back, and it had like a waistband and had two shoulder plates. And on the shoulder plates of the ephod were two stones, two onyx stones, And on each one was engraved six names of the sons of Israel. So six on this side and six on this side. And then with the breast piece itself, it was like a a piece of finely woven cloth with gold woven into it. And on that breast piece were 12 stones. And on each of those 12, there was an individual name of one of the tribes of Israel. And so all of that shows, symbolizes that Aaron, when he went into the presence of the Lord, that he was serving as a representative of all of the people of Israel. He was going before them. He was representing them. And it's interesting too, isn't it, that the 12 stones that represented the individual tribes of Israel, they were located over the heart of the priest. In other words, those, those people, the people that he represents, they were to be close to his heart. And whatever he did was not only to be for the Lord and holy to the Lord, but also out of love for the people that he was representing. And so Aaron's garments show his role as a mediator between God and the people and his, his role as representative for the people to God. And, and that representation, that mediation of Aaron and to the, for the people before God was really a two-way mediation. There was an ascending mediation, if I can use that term, in the sense that Moses, that Aaron would take the, the people's prayers, the people's offerings, the sacrifices, and Aaron would bring those upward to God and would offer those to God. So there's an, there's an ascending mediation from the people to God, but there's also a descending mediation from God to the people, where the priest would give the words of God, would give God's instructions, would, would serve as a judge to help decide matters of dispute, cases in which God's word needed to be brought into it. He was someone who uh, spoke God's blessings over the people, such as we see in number 6, 24 to 26, the benediction that we say almost every Sunday. The the priest was bringing God to the people, but also bringing the people to God. So he served in this role, And, and the very clothing that he wore represented that mediation of representing the people before God. The breast piece not only symbolized Aaron's role as a representative, but it also symbolized his role as one giving God's counsel and guidance. Because in that breast piece were contained two stones called the Urim and the Thummim. Now, we don't know a whole lot about these stones. There's still a lot of mystery about these stones and exactly how they functioned. But from what we can gather from the scriptures, somehow these stones were used as a way of determining God's will for the people. As a way of determining what God would want His people to do, and so in a in a serious matter of of seeking God's guidance, they would go to the priest, and they would seek to understand God's will from this urim and thummim. And God used that; it was somehow the casting of these stones, like the casting of lots, and the answer of it would would give God's will, God's decision in that matter. And so the the priest was that one who conveyed God's will to the people. As we think about this robe, the ephod robe that's described beginning in verse 22, as we think about that robe and and the pomegranates and the bells that were attached to the bottom of it, we see that ministering in the presence of the Lord is a very solemn responsibility, isn't it? Ministering in the presence of the Lord is a very solemn responsibility. This passage in connection with other texts, especially like Leviticus 10, suggests that for someone to offer uh, before the Lord that which was false or that which God did not prescribe would lead to death. It's a very serious matter. And one way of understanding these pomegranates and bells is a way of reminding the priest... That he was in the presence of the Lord, and there is some legend. It's hard to know for sure how uh, how true this is because it's not contained in Scripture. But there's an there's an old Jewish legend that uh, if the priest uh, if those bells stop ringing, then they would pull the priest out because he had committed some transgression against the Lord. Again, that's. That's kind of passed down from generation to generation. It's not really found in Scripture. But most, most scholars believe that these pomegranates and bells were somehow used to communicate or remind that this is a solemn responsibility in the, in the presence of a holy God. On the turban was this plaque or this sign that said, Holy to the Lord meaning that the priest was specifically set apart, consecrated, designated for this special role. And that as he went before God, he was to cleanse himself, purify himself through sacrifice, but also through washing, through, this, through the bronze laver of washing, purifying himself. And that when he went before the Lord, he was to be a holy representative before God for the people. The Lord is holy, and so those who serve in his presence are to be holy. The other aspects of the, the priestly garment, such as the, the turban and the sash, it just represents the fact that these were a special group of people consecrated for a special task, and that God designated them as such to serve him they were holy because God is holy. He set them apart unto himself. The last thing that I want us to focus our attention on in this passage comes at the end, in verses 32 to verse 43. And at the end of this passage, we see kind of a summary in which it describes all of the, the aspects of the tabernacle being completed. So all of these pieces, the the tent, the fabric, the poles, the stands, uh, all of the holy vessels, the ark and the incense altar and the the table, all of these uh, holy vessels, the garments for the priesthood, it was all completed and they brought it before Moses and Moses inspects it. He sees that it's all completed and then Moses pronounces a blessing on the people. Why? Because they had obeyed to the letter what God had told them to do. And I think that communicates a very simple point, and that is that God's blessing comes on those who obey his word. God's blessing comes on those who obey his word. And for whatever we want to say about the children of Israel and their errors and their sins, especially with the golden calf incident, Yes, we can, we can see how they went astray in that, and they went astray terribly, but we also have to give them their good points as well. When they learn the lesson of that tragedy, and then when they obey with all of their hearts, down to the very letter, exactly what God had commanded them to do. And throughout that final paragraph in chapter 39, it's emphasized several times that the people did exactly as the Lord had commanded and at the end, they're blessed. Moses, representing God to the people, blesses them. It's a blessing from God to the people. And so God's blessing comes on those who obey him. As we think about the role of the priesthood, this, this priesthood, this Old Testament priesthood, it was temporary and it was provisional, wasn't it? It was temporary and it was provisional. Aaron was a sinner. He had to make an offering for himself before he could make an offering for the people. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4 and 5 that we read a little while ago. The, the priests of Aaron, they were sinners. And they had to make sacrifices for themselves. But Jesus, our great high priest, he was perfect. He was the flawless, the blameless son of God. He need not make any sacrifice for himself because he was without blame. Instead, he was the sacrifice for us. He substituted his life for us. These priests, they died. They were subject to weaknesses, to frailties. They were subject to sin. They were subject to death. Not so our great high priest the Lord Jesus. Not only is he perfect and sinless, but now risen from the dead, he also lives forever so that we don't need any more high priest. There doesn't need to be a succession of high priests like there was from Aaron to his sons and then to their sons because they died. Jesus is the last high priest because he lives forever. And the sacrifices that these Old Testament priests made they were provisional and they were not the ultimate final sacrifice, were they? The writer of Hebrews says, how is it possible for the blood of bulls and of goats to really atone for sin? It's really not possible. Because you're taking something that is in an inferior part of God's creation and offering it on behalf of image bearers of God, and that's not an equal trait. That that can't be the full and final atonement For human sin, image bearers of God who rebelled against him, there must be a final perfect sacrifice. And Jesus is that, isn't he? So he offers a perfect sacrifice, not a provisional one, but a final one on behalf of his people. And so all of this communicates to us that God must be approached through a holy priesthood who offers holy sacrifices to God. But even with this, in Exodus 39, it's still not the ultimate. Jesus is the ultimate. And Jesus is the way by which a holy priest offers a holy sacrifice to a holy God and makes us holy in so doing, so that we can dwell in the presence of God. And so God is holy, Christ is holy, Christ offered a holy sacrifice for us, Christ is our holy and great high priest who intercedes for us, and by his work for us on the cross, now we can be declared holy. And we can be called saints, even though we don't deserve it. And so we ought to be thankful for the grace of God. And as a way of application, we need to be reminded that much of what Moses describes here in these closing chapters of Exodus is centered around the holiness of God. And because God is holy, and he has called us and saved us to be as holy people, now he requires of us that we too live holy lives we too are to live holy lives. Peter says in 1 Peter, you are to be holy even as God is holy. And so may we seek to live in God's presence and minister for God to the world as a royal priesthood. May we seek to represent him as holy people. Made holy, declared holy by our great high priest and his sacrifice, and ever increasingly becoming more holy in the image of Christ as we conform our obedience to his. May we represent faithfully our holy God to the world as his holy people. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you're a God of mercy, a God who shows forgiveness to sinners even to sinners who commit great sins. We're thankful that even though our sin is great, your grace is greater. We're thankful that we have a great high priest in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived for us, who died for us, who shed his blood for us, and then rose again for us. And now represents us eternally in your presence. Thank you, Father, that we can access you. We can come before your presence through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the new and living way that he made through his death on the cross. Thank you for calling us to be your holy, set-apart people. Now, God, may we go out into the world, and as we go about our daily activities in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, that we would represent you as your holy people to the world. May our light shine that they may glorify you, our Father in heaven. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.